Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards podcast. It's great to have you with us. In this series, we dive deeper into the narratives we hold about God. Narratives play a fundamental role in forming a person's core identity, both for the positive or for the negative. So join us over the coming weeks as we explore the character of God displayed through the life and mission of Jesus. reminder of the uh, the series that we're doing. Um, this is our kind of um, starting point for all of our messages, that every individual holds an image of God, which is shaped by their life experience, their family, and also their cultural worldview. And what we find is that this image may not be consistent with the God that Jesus revealed to us. And we're also, the fact, one of our foundation points here is that Jesus perfectly displays the truth about God. And he used narratives to explain his understanding of God and the world. Thanks, Phil. And so our key scripture for this um, series is coming from Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, which is now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, And through whom he made the universe. And the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Isn't that fantastic scripture? (laughs) That's the way that the author kicks off Hebrews. You just want to keep going, don't you? Um, So clearly we can see from this scripture that by looking at Jesus, we can understand more about God than by looking anywhere else. Last week, um, Dan presented um, the truth about God's complete goodness as displayed in the life of Jesus. So I just wanted to quickly sum a few things up as we go into this series. Um, So here in the vineyard, we teach a kingdom of God worldview whereby um, we can describe God's goodness as a simple goodness. Now, what does this mean? Well, people have written whole books on this, and I'm going to go through it in about two minutes. So we could, we could expand on this greatly, but let's just say it means that God is always good. He is always for us. He always wants the best. He always wants to heal. And the, and the, and the confusing thing ha- um, comes, doesn't it, when bad stuff happens. So how do we think about those bad things happening to us and in the world? And we can begin to ask, well, if God is good, why is this bad stuff happening? Does he want the bad stuff to happen? Well, it's because while God's goodness is never in question, and that's what we were getting to last week, his sovereignty can be described as complicated. What does that mean? Well, as we've sung this morning, and as that scripture points out, um, while God is supreme and he is the king of kings, In this present age, his will is not always done. Now, that might seem to some of you like, what? what?" There's some parts of the church where you you wouldn't be able to say a statement like that. But um, why is God's will not always happening? Well, we can see through the the narrative of Scripture that um, we are in a battle, a cosmic battle. 
And it's an unseen battle, but sometimes it becomes very real and present to us in our lives. And many of us have experienced that in many different ways. Because we have a very real enemy, as does God, and his name is Satan. And if you've read scripture for any length of time, you will know all about that. And Satan is, is keen on preventing God's will happening at any cost. And that is why we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've got this idea or this truth of two wills happening, God's and Satan's, and they're in competition. And of course, we can also play a part in that in our own lives and uh, not just our own lives because our own life has an effect on people living all around us um, with our choice of obedience and submission to God's will as well. And so we can choose to be obedient to God's will or we can choose to be disobedient and the consequences that will follow on from those two things. So God's goodness is never in question. And as a result of that, we know that God is trustworthy. And so he is safe and we can come to him knowing that he's not going to step on our toes to develop character or maturity, but he does use those challenges and disappointments to help us to grow. Thanks, Phil. So as we've seen in the Hebrew scripture that we've just referred to, Jesus is that exact imprint of God's nature. And so we, as we watch um, how he operates um, and how he relates to this good father, we see the goodwill of God on display. So building on where Dan left off last week with God's goodness, um, this week we're going to unpack the truth that God is trustworthy. Thanks, Jonathan. So have you ever thought about what it means to trust somebody? Now, I've looked it up here in the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary there. This is what uh, it says. Um, That um, being trustworthy means that we have an assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength, or the truth of someone. And that we can have a hope and a confidence in them, a belief in them, a faith in them, and that we can always depend on them. Now, if I was to ask you, could you identify perhaps the most trustworthy person that you know? Could you do that? Do you know someone that you can totally depend on, feel totally safe with? I hope so. As children, God's best design was to place us in a family, wasn't it, where our parents provided a place of safety and trust. Now, of course, many of us have lived a different narrative to that story, and our family home has not always represented that or felt a safe place for us. And for, for others um, who've experienced that broken trust that happens at home, it has caused significant damage in their lives. But we've got to remember that God's original intention was for our mums and dads to provide that place of trust and safety for us to start out and to begin the journey of discovering that we have also a father in heaven who loves us and is completely trustworthy also. But it's not a surprise um, to us, is it, that life is hard and it's broken in lots and lots of ways. And so much so that probably it might have been easier for some of you to answer the question in, in, in reverse there, and you might find it easier to, to think of people who you just don't trust at all, actually. People who have let you down. 
And I think it's safe to say that broken trust is something that's very, very hard to recover from. And I think if we have experienced that trust that has been broken by someone who says that they're Christian and they're following Jesus, then um, that is really difficult. It can break our trust not only in that person, but also it damages then how we begin to view God. It starts to, that storyline can begin to skew um, the truth about God being trustworthy. And we're asking whether we know it really consciously or in our subconscious that we begin to say, look, if God's people behave in this way, then how can I trust God? And that is heartbreaking, isn't it? And it's heartbreaking for God. Now, the big story of the Bible, of course, isn't it, is a huge catalogue, in fact, of people who are not trusting God. People who have let him down, who reject him, who decide to go their own way. Yet despite this, at the same time, when we read through Scripture, the pages of the Old Testament and the New, we see a picture of God who continues to love and who continues to pursue us and to keep his promises. And we know the story of the gospel is that he goes to the extreme of becoming a human himself to demonstrate his trustworthy, solid and unchanging nature while he pursues a relationship with us whilst at the same time dealing with sin and death itself. Thanks, Jonathan. This is um, um, a scripture that Moses cries out to God. And Moses was uh, somebody, I think, who we could say at this point in, in world history, he knew God more intimately than anybody else had since Adam and Eve. And this is what he says about God. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. A few of us know a song about that, don't we? Sue? <laughs> I won't sing it. John's told me I sing too much in sermons. but uh... <laughs> I'm sure there's a song in there somewhere. So looking back, Jonathan, if we could flick back, I think if we flick on, we'll find that dictionary definition again. If I was to ask you, is this, this definition, is this how you think about God? If I was to ask you that briefly and quickly, you'd go, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I believe that about God. But when we look perhaps a little bit deeper inside of ourselves, we have to ask, well, if I believe this, am I actually living according to this truth? Or actually is something else going along? underneath because if we have have seen already we can sometimes um, have a false narrative about God in our minds and that means that we end up actually living quite differently to the truth that we say we believe and so how we actually end up living our lives is going to show us more about where our trust in this case because we're looking at God's trust trustworthiness today is actually rooted so we might want to ask do I really trust God do I really believe that he has the best for me? Is his character and strength and ability really that reliable? And so we can easily fall into the trap of assessing God's trustworthiness based on our own experiences or the experiences of those who we see around us. 
And those narratives begin to shape what we feel about God himself. And we begin to ask, you know, if bad stuff is happening in my life or the lives of my family and friends, then surely God can't be trusted. Maybe a marriage falls apart. Or maybe a baby is lost before birth. Maybe a job you've been promised has been given to somebody else. Maybe your children walk away from God. Maybe someone that you love dies. Now these are very real experiences and challenges that we as a community have lived through and are living through right now. And so it's difficult, isn't it? When we get underneath it, what do we really believe about God? Difficult things aside, what about if we're trying to follow God? You know, Daniel just stood up here and said, you know, that he, you know, he saved up for a couple of years to go over to YWAM and to serve God on mission. And those things are not easy. And as he shared, there was a few things in his journey. You can talk to him about it that were very, very difficult that he had to overcome. But some of us, we, well, all of us, I think when we're trying to follow God, we might have a fear about what he might ask of us. You know, and we say, well, I, I want to trust God, but can I really trust him? You know, what, what if he's going to let me down? What if he does ask me to go and live in a different country far away? You know, I feel like he might take something from me. Sam was leading us this evening and I surrender everything. But some of us have a fear about that. What if he's going to ask me something to, what if he's going to ask me to give us something I'm enjoying? Or somebody that I'm enjoying? What if he wants all my money and there's nothing left? <laughs> These are questions that we can have. What if I want to really stand up for the truth and say, this is what I believe about God? But that's going to wind up with me perhaps being arrested. Maybe not yet in Queensland, but not too long. What if I end up in prison for speaking out? These are very real questions and struggles that we have to answer. And many people around the world are answering those questions right now. So this can go round and round in our heads. You can probably think of a lot more things. And these narratives, they actually end up stopping us from being radical followers of Jesus. But when we look at Jesus, which is what we're doing in this series, we, re we see a man, don't we, who, who lived his life in complete trust and dependence on God. And that complete trust and dependence led to a life of radical obedience to his father. So let's have a look at Jesus and what he can reveal to us about the nature of God's trustworthiness. Now, we, I, I don't have a copy of the book that we're doing this series from, The Good and Beautiful God. Um, but in, in this series, uh, in that book, on the chapter on trustworthiness, um, one of the examples of how Jesus reveals this to us is through what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus' arrest. And here we see how Jesus relates to his father. And he uses a name in this conversation with God, um, which is Abba Father. And we're going to have a little look about what that reveals now. So let's go. We can, you can turn or have a look on the screen. Matthew 27. Then Jesus went with them, that's all of the disciples after the Last Supper, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. 
He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Then he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, saying, my father, which is Abba Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he left them a second time and prayed, My father, which is Abba Father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Thanks. So Abba, we've heard that before. In fact, Alistair's been leading us in that wonderful song, Abba, recently, hasn't he? It's an Aramaic word, and it's preserved It's been preserved in our scriptures in that original Aramaic language, which was the the language that Jesus would have spoken. And um, I love that when we come across those words being preserved in that way. So it hasn't been translated into uh, Greek and then into English, which is how the other words are. Um, So um, so it it, it conveys a couple of meanings, this word. And um, so in scripture, we see it written as Abba Father because... There's not really a word, one word in our language that would be able to sum up the whole meaning of this. So Abba and Father are put together. Um, now you might have described this before as daddy, heard it described as daddy. Quite an intimate term to use for God. And it, and it, is, it does convey that sense of an intimate, um, an intimate way to speak to and address your father. But there's a nuance in this term also which conveys a sense of reverence, which isn't in daddy, it's by itself. Um, which is, uh, and also a sense of obedience. And so it's better to think of it as being said, um, thanks Jonathan, father, I obey you. Or father, I will obey. So that's the sense of Abba, father. So Jesus' relationship with God is so close and so intimate and so trusting that at the moment in the garden, which we've already seen Jesus is in complete anguish, he's on the floor, his face is in the dirt. He can't even stand up straight. And he's using this name, Abba Father, I will obey. Jesus' trust in God is so complete. He's about to face the biggest challenge in the whole of human history. But still he's able to say, Father, I will obey. So we want to ask, well, how is that possible? Jesus knew his father to be trustworthy. He knew him to be able to provide for him no matter what was happening. And he knew that because he'd worked in partnership with his father so many times before that when it came to what needed to be done, even though he wished for another way, which we can see in that scripture, he was able to pray, not my will, but yours. In Luke's account, we see that Abba Father provided an angel to minister to Jesus in this moment ahead of that trial to strengthen him. So for Jesus to continue to trust in his father, it didn't mean that the circumstance 
had to change. But that God would, was able to sustain him through the circumstance. And so at this, his lowest point, when his words have failed him, he was still clinging on to the knowledge of the Father from the scriptures that just were, were, were part of who he was. And the words that we see him crying out in the garden here aren't even his own. He's quoting from Psalms. This is Psalm 42. And in Psalm 42, he refers to God as his rock. And he's trusting and knowing that in him alone is salvation. And he quotes, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? For my hope is in God, and I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. And then he says, Father, I will obey. Thanks, Jonathan. So from Jesus' very real and vulnerable example here, we can see that trusting God is not about looking at our circumstances and assessing whether God is trustworthy or not. Instead, it's about making a decision in faith to follow him wherever he's going to lead us. And then in trust, to trust in the truth about him that we can learn in scripture. And then it's about depend, deciding to depend on him to provide for us no matter what. Now that provision might come in many ways, sometimes with an angel coming to strengthen us, materially, mentally, relationally, or physically. In Isaiah, we see there's a promise of peace for those who learn to trust in the trustworthiness of God. In Isaiah 26, we read, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. And I love that picture of God as a rock in Scripture. Such a blessing, isn't it? Because it describes so beautifully, you know, that solidness, that firmness that we can just feel beneath our feet. Now, I know that trusting in the Father is not always an easy thing. Um, especially at times when we've been let down by our, by our own fathers. And I think, let's face it, most of us have at one time or another. But I know that for some of us, that is exceptionally difficult. And for sure, it warps our view of Abba Father altogether. In the Good, Good and Beautiful God book, um, James Brian Smith, he uses the Lord's Prayer to show a wonderful example of how we, be, how we can begin to trust in the Father that Jesus has revealed to us and to be able to begin to move away from those broken concepts of fatherhood that we might have from what we've experienced ourselves. And so he points out that avoiding thinking about God as trustworthy, as a trustworthy father, isn't going to help us. But what we need to do is begin to renew our minds through Jesus' narrative of what a wonderful father we have in Abba Father. So this isn't my work that we're going to go through now. This is from the book. Um, and um, we're going to go through the Lord's Prayer and look at each line of how this reveals qualities of what our Father in heaven is actually like and how Jesus taught us that through this prayer. So the first one is that our Father is present, our Father who is in heaven. Now, we might think in our, we, we have a slightly different idea of heaven to the first century um, Jews. For them, heaven was, um, was really near. It was at hand. And every time God speaks in scripture, it's a very near voice. 
and the angels appear very close by, so it's just a different realm that is normally unseen. It's not like my, you know, miles away in the clouds, which is how we tend to think of, of heaven in our culture. Um, but a biblical understanding is much closer than that. And that's why Jesus goes around saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand because we just need to reach out for it in faith and it's right there. So our father is actually very present, a very present father. Thanks, Jonathan. He's also pure. We say in the, Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name or holy be your name. So our father is holy and blameless without any fault. Thanks, Jonathan. Next one, powerful. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is teaching us that our father is a victorious king. Thanks, love. That he is a provider. Give us this day our daily bread. So our Father is able to give us everything that we need. He is a provider. And he pardons. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We were led in that beautifully earlier today and most of the day yesterday, in fact. So our Father is a Father who cleanses us and restores us. And the last one protects. Our Abba Father is a protector and we can, we, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. So our Father is a place of safety. I would love to say that was my work, but it's not. <laughs> I love it when all things line up like that, don't you? All those Ps, they make perfect sense, don't they? Oh, there's another one. Um, <laughs> so this is a wonderful picture of, of our Father, isn't it? And this is why we can trust him, because he's present, pure, powerful, he provides for us, pardons us, and protects us. So let's just have a quick look at some false narratives that we might be believing. So we've got, kept the ones there on the left, the true father. And um, this is how we might think of a false narrative that we might have believed about God. That rather than being present, that he's actually far away and distant or unavailable. And sometimes our fathers might have been, seemed like that to us in our families growing up. Um, I think Ian was sharing a, sim- a story of yesterday in Set Free of, of, of an experience that he had similar to this. And so we all have these stories that we we've end up living out that we don't actually realize um, until the Holy Spirit points it out to us. But our father is present. He's not far away, distant or unavailable. A false narrative might be that God is corrupted in some way or that he's evil and that he sends bad things on us. When in fact, God's heart is entirely pure and holy. And powerful, that um, actually some of us may believe that, he, that God uses power against us or in some ways that he's weak and he's not coming to our aid. But in fact, God is all-powerful. And we may believe that he's selfish and he just wants us to do things to suit him or that he is insufficient in some way. Maybe we've had a father who hasn't been able to provide or who just seems to look after himself. But our God, our father in heaven is not like that. He provides for our every need. Maybe we've lived or witnessed and experienced um, punishment or a father who bears grudges And sometimes we can believe that that's what God is like. But God has made a way for forgiveness of sin. And he pardons us and has done and will continue to do when we repent and turn from our sins.
And then we may believe that God is going to attack us in some way or that he's going to leave us vulnerable to attack of others. When in fact, our Father God is there to protect us. So as we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, um, he begins to rewrite in our minds the truthful story of who God is. And Abba Father, when we invite him in, begins to heal that part of our heart that has been damaged. So choosing to say Abba Father will begin to open up in our lives, open up our lives to God in a whole new level. If we can trust God enough to say, Father, I will obey in any circumstance, then we will learn what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Because that's what he did. And scripture also commands it. <laughs> so let's have a look here at Proverbs. Now, Colin Buchanan made this into a beautiful tune. But actually, there's a command in here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Colin says, <laughs> actually it says in the ESV, I think, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. I've remembered that one. <laughs> There's a promise there, isn't there? If we trust in the Lord with all our heart, he's going to make our path straight. There's quite a lot of promises in scripture when we follow God and do what he's asking us to do. Now, my friend, um, actually, Jonathan told me about, I didn't know this, but Jonathan said that a friend of ours um, has recently preached a, a message or written a message that he's titled, Living on the Other Side of Yes. I loved that. Jonathan was teaching, talking to me about it this week. Living on the other side of yes. What does that mean? Now, I haven't heard the message that he's written, but John and I were talking about it. And it's about giving our yes to God because we trust him that he is with us no matter what we're going to face. Now, I want to be somebody, and I hope I am. I've been trying my best since I was 21 to live on the other side of yes with God. That's why I'm in Brisbane and not Bristol. <laughs> now, or Brighton, maybe we'd still be in Brighton. Anyway, um, so what happens when we say no to God? You see, if you're going to call God Abba Father, then you have to say yes. What happens if you're saying no? Well, we begin to close down avenues of blessing and growth for ourselves, but not only ourselves, for our whole community. Um, and so when we say no to God, you know, it's all good, I got this. <laughs> I don't want to move there. I don't want to give that up. We're saying to him, actually, my way is better than yours and um, it's going to be best for me. Now, one of the top reasons that we do that would be fear. Because fear says, God, uh, uh, underneath everything, I don't believe that you're trustworthy. And so we shut down that invitation of God. We close the door on it and we go our own way. But we can see from Jesus' example and his use of Abba Father that being a true disciple is, is about more than an invitation. It's actually about obedience. And trusting God is obedience. Now, of course, that doesn't make it easy. But it is the path of discipleship. And if we want to grow into mature Christians, we've got to learn to live on the other side of yes. So how can we get better at trusting in God's trustworthiness? Well, the answer is by stepping out in obedience to what he's asking you to do. 
Now, as we mentioned before, you don't know how solid something is until you've tested it out. We don't know that that stage, if I jump on it, isn't, hasn't got a baptismal pool underneath that I'm going to end up in. But we're a Lutheran church, so maybe not. But um, <laughs> that would be <laughs> a shock, wouldn't it? If I did that in the church I was brought up in, I'd end up maybe a bit wet. Or I think they'd probably empty it between baptisms. But anyway, it was pretty cold when I went in. Um, <laughs> So, when we step out, what I'm trying to get to is when we step out and trust God, we're going to experience how trustworthy he is. If we just sit in our little comfort zone, we're not going to know. We begin to experience that when we, when we, when we walk with God in obedience. Now, I remember um, my time growing up in Birmingham uh, and when I was at university, at graduated university, I've told you before, 21, had this whole um, transformation experience where I said yes to God and um, I did what Sam had led us so beautifully in and I surrendered everything to him at that point. It was a great year of transformation for me. Sounds exciting, sounds thrilling and awesome, <laughs> but actually it was hard and lonely and difficult and challenging. I was actually quite desperate at that time and I threw myself onto God because he was beginning to strip things away and I was giving them over to him. Now, I remember I was looking for a new place to live and um, I was living in a big city and um, I was by myself on a bus in suburbs which were very threatening and um, I had no idea where I was or what I was doing but I just knew I had to move out of the house that I was in because that was my old life. So I was moving into a new house with a Christian girl I'd met and I was nearly in tears thinking, what is going on and what am I going to do? And I hear a voice clearly on that bus and it was, it was gone. He said to me, hold on, I've got something for you. And in my mind, I could see this gift like a present wrapped up. Just hold on, Helen, he said. And that was it. So I thought, okay, I'll hold on. About eight months I had to hold on, um, wondering what God was going to do and what, what, what was going to happen. But um, eight months later, I moved to Brighton um, to live with my sister. And whilst I was there, I found a new church for the first weekend. And um, waiting in that new church were multiple gifts. But uh, there was a whole new church family, a whole new home for me. But the best gift of all was there was Jonathan. <laughs> now, meeting and marrying Jonathan is, has been and still is such a joy. And his name means gift of God and that's what he is to me and hopefully to some of you <laughs> all of you <laughs> but in order to receive that gift I had to wait and trust and work with God through those moments those confusing months when I was alone to see his goodwill come to fruition in my life I had to let things go I had to turn away I had to put things down I had to surrender and so I really got to experience Romans 8.28, thanks Jonathan, which says God works all things together for good with those who love him and accord according to his purpose. This is N.T. Wright's new work, that word with in there. It's not for, it's with. He works with us. So we have to agree with him and participate in his good work in us. There is no magic wand. And so I got to experience that firsthand of working with God. 
So this verse is teaching us, isn't it, that when we find ourselves in difficulties or when we are stepping out in faith after what he has shown us to do and when we put our trust in him, then through us and with us and the Holy Spirit, God is able to work things together with us for our good. Even things, as we've been talking about recently, that have happened outside of his will. When we work with God, he is able to help us in those situations. So our place is to trust him and to allow ourselves to work with him through those disappointments and discouragements and sometimes completely devastating circumstances, which I'm sure some of you have testimony about doing in your lives. In Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, we read that we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So, God is trustworthy. Now, I think for each of us as his disciples, each day we get to choose to trust God again. Thanks, Jonathan. And I think if we can wake up every day and say something like this, then we're going to start growing in our trust in God. We need to wake up in the morning and like, put our feet on the ground and stamp our foot and go, God, you are the rock. Your deeds are perfect. Everything you do is just and fair. You are a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright you are. That's what Moses declared. And then we say to ourselves, we're standing on your firm foundation today, God. We choose to trust you today. In each new circumstance, you present to me, I choose to say, Abba Father, I will obey. Okay, now as we've been doing this series, we're going to come to the part in our meeting today where we're going to think about some of these false narratives that we might have been believing. And so I've put some ideas up here, but these are just ideas that I came up with this week. They might not be your false narrative, but they're a conversation starter. So you can read those up there. Maybe you can't trust God because um, why should you trust him? Because people have let you down. You can't trust God because you're afraid he might ask you to do something difficult or things that you don't want to do. There's so much bad stuff happening in the world. How can you trust God with your future? You can't trust God anymore because things haven't worked out the way that you thought they would. That's just a few ideas, a few things that we mull and we, we chew away on and we don't even realize they're there. You may have your own false narrative. But what we're doing in this series is giving everybody an opportunity to do some work with this stuff that we have chewing around in our brains and getting rid of them and then inviting the Holy Spirit to come and bring his true narrative to us. Now, because we're all individuals, um, the way that we think about God is, is going to be different for each one of us. And so I want you to spend a few minutes thinking about a narrative that you might be believing about God's trustworthiness in your life and whether you can really trust him. So I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to give you a few seconds just to think about that now.
Holy Spirit, we thank you for your voice and that you speak to us like no other. And so we just want to open up our hearts to you now to receive your word. Show us if there's something that we're believing about you that is not true. We want to be able to surrender that to you today. Thanks, Jonathan. This is quite a a prayer that we're getting used to these last few weeks. And we've squished it onto this one screen so we can have it all up there together. And Joe and Dan have led us in this each week. And this is an opportunity for us to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and clear out some of these narratives. And we're going to do this together as a group. But um, we also would like to make the opportunity at the end that if there's something that is really sticking here that you don't feel that you can do by yourself and you would like someone to stand with you and pray that we've got some time afterwards to do this with you. But this is quite simple. And the thing that we love about this series is it's teaching us to um, confess something that we're believing that is not true. And then to ask for God's forgiveness in that, of holding on to that false narrative about him. And then breaking our agreement with it, because we have the authority to do that. And then inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and accept the truth that we need to know about who God really is and what he is really like. So this is really powerful. This is what, if you want to know what set free is like, it's like this. (laughs) Because our words have great power, don't they? And when we come before God and we repent and we confess and we repent and we forgive and we break things off, there's great things that can happen in terms of our own freedom and inviting God in. So we've done this the last two weeks. So hopefully you can remember one of your narratives. And so I'm just going to give you a few moments now to to go through this together. So how about we all stand? And you can say this out loud. I'm going to, re- I'm going to re- read through the mic, but you can be saying it by yourselves um, because it's good that we can speak these things out and, and they can be heard, not by the whole room, but by the spiritual realm. And then um, we'll just give a pause in those blanks. Okay. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have allowed false narratives to affect the way that I relate to you. I have believed the lie that... If you need to forgive somebody, this line is relevant for you. I forgive those who have contributed to my forming this false narrative. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for receiving this false narrative, for living my life based on it, and for any way that I have judged others because of it. Lord, I receive your forgiveness. You might just want to. Put your hand on your heart. Just receive that forgiveness. I now renounce and break my agreement with this narrative and any powers of darkness behind it. I choose to accept, believe, and receive the truth that I can trust you, God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.
that's a powerful thing to do, isn't it? Now, if, again, if you would like to come and, and speak to us about any of that that's happened today or if it's churned up some stuff from you from your past and you want to have that um, spoken about and prayed with, then please take your time to come and do that with us. Um, if not, then thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, uh, we just pray a blessing over you for the week ahead. And um, there's coffee and tea and yummies outside. So do feel free to stay and enjoy that together. Um, thank you once again.